When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? What's the worst day of the week that gets us all depressed? M-O-N-D-A-Y-S-U-C-K-S Here comes more aggravation and a brand new week of stress. This is your pal Dane Alves with another episode of Monday Suck, a show for all new listeners in which, you know, I pick apart certain news items and, uh, you know, go into details and and talk about whatever the fuck I want to. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Today I have uh, two guys uh, joining me, one being my brother, Luke Alves. How are you doing, sir? So weird fucking talking to you like that. (laughs) I'm doing, man. I'm doing great, man. I mean, you know, even though Mondays do suck, uh... You know, had a great day at work and uh, have amazing basketball ahead of me. Big uh, Boston Lakers game tonight. Huge robbery right there. Um, hopefully the Celtics uh, can win. So, you know, looking forward to that one later on. Hell yeah. And we also have my co-host from Wrestling Geeks Alliance, show that I do at uh, Thursdays at 7 p.m. EST and Saturdays at noon. Well, me and Brother Chris Freyrat. Damn it. Brother Christopher Ray Patton, break down all that is wrestling in the news. I almost had it. I got a little tongue-tied. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Excited to talk about uh, something not wrestling while I get ready to start watching wrestling. <laughs> how are you, man? Doing good. And you know what is great is that we don't have to worry if we go into Raw, because I think they're starting off with that terrible match with Lana and Bobby Lashley against Rusev. And Liv Morgan. So, you know, we're good. We're good for this. Um, yeah, anyways, <laughs> if you're a wrestling fan, you get that joke. If not, I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, let's get into our topics for today. But like I said, if you're a new listener, we do a show every, well, bi-weekly on Mondays at 6 or 7 p.m. EST. Definitely join us. We just talk about an array of topics. Well, I do, and then I kind of have guests on, and we kind of break them down and have fun. And uh, for all of our, you know, other listeners, thank you guys for joining us again. And uh, let us know. We're going to be going over the Oscars. We're going to be going over uh, nominations for certain categories. But before that, we're going to do our top ten favorite films of 2019. So I want you guys to go on Twitter and find me or Chris uh, and, 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 and tell us your top ten. Or get on Facebook. It's Geek Fives Nation for any of them. So tag us, tag Geek Fives Nation, and let us know what your top ten is. But before we get to that, one little topic I want to talk about, and that was the uh, the fight that wasn't, if you will, um, <laughs> on Saturday night. Uh, Conor McGregor had the uh, you know his fight coming back from his loss with Khabib, and he uh, he beat Cowboy pretty handily, uh, I would say. Um, you know. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a lot. I think it was under 40 seconds, I believe. Um, so basically, and this is the craziest concept. I can break down this fight because I've only seen it, well, once with highlights, but the highlights were the exact fucking fight because Connor came in running, uh, looked like it charged with a knee, missed it completely, but just got inside. When they squared up, 
and they locked a bit. He took his shoulder and hit him in the fucking face four times, breaking his nose, smashing his orbital bone, and then once after that, waited, got a nice little head kick, um, and then went after him and, you know, drilled him a couple times. Uh, Cowboy was able to move away a bit, and then uh, Connor came with a beret of punches and just was, you know, just just totaled uh, Cowboy Cerrone. So, damn, uh, for fans, I, I've heard a lot of people that were kind of casual MMA fans, and I am too, but not casual in the sense of, like, I understand knockouts will happen. Uh, I understand that sometimes there will be three rounds of a lot of wrestling and stuff like that. I know that people like it more engaged and more like fighting. So I know a lot of people are complaining that the main event, the two main events, the women's uh, fight with Holly Holmes was, I think, a tad bit boring. And then that one itself uh, with Connor was, you know, lightning quick and then it was done. So, uh, Luke, um, I'm, I'm sure that you saw this fight uh, or, or, you know, the, the amount of fight that there was on there. Uh, do you agree with uh, Mr. Uh, Nick Diaz that it was all staged and, um, you know, uh, Cowboy took a, took a fall? Uh, work, I, feel like it's the, I feel like it's the tale of two takes. Like, I definitely see – I was with Nate where it kind of felt like it wasn't fixed, but, like, they gave Cowboy the, hey, if you feel rough, kind of just stay rough and stay on the ground. Because even though, like you said, it was like when I watched it live, he did do those vicious shoulder hits, but I've seen way worse hits where, like, people get, like, knocked in the face and they can withstand it. The kick was good. It was a solid kick, but he hit him with the bridge, like, the end of his foot to his toes. So it wasn't, like, his firm part of his foot. So it was, he was, like, he was getting big hits. And, like, when he was on the ground, he kind of, like, still was there, and he could have done better to protect himself. But he kind of just at that point given up. But Cowboy at this point, his last two matches, he's been knocked out. He's kind of been just a rag doll. They definitely scheduled this fight to have Connor win, so it was a win. I kind of understand what the people that said, you know, because I watched the whole fight card, and um, unfortunately, a lot of the fights were really quick. I mean, there was uh, Anthony Pettis got uh, choked out in the first one. I think three matches in a row, I'm pretty sure. Two of them definitely were uh, two chokeouts, like back-to-back, like within the first round. So you're like, whoa, this is like all these fights are coming in quick. And all that, so, you know, for the casual fan, you know, you've kind of already been snubbed by a lot of the fights not going some distance. They're not really that great if you're not that, like, enthused about grappling and chokeouts. And then you get to Connor, and he does it super quick. I mean, but then, like I said, it's a tale of two takes where it's like I felt like that in the moment. But then after really looking at Cowboy and that, like, presser and the end, his face is really messed up. It's really jacked up. Like, yeah, he might have not taken, like, a solid – like, super punch, like, he came out with a super punch, by the way, like, Superman punch, but he totally missed, but Cowboy also, like, if this was any other fighter besides Cowboy, and a fighter that's hungry, they would have came out how Connor came out, and instantly on the attack, because, like, Connor hasn't fought in a while, but Cowboy stood back, and Connor was super aggressive, felt like if, they, if it was any other person, it's a completely different story, because the, these kids are hungry, I just feel like a Cowboy's career, he's fought so many times, that he just it's, it's at that point where, you know, he knows where the UFC is. It's better, you know, if he doesn't win. I don't think he would have won no matter what. Connor definitely looked, wet, like, way more ready to fight. But, uh, yeah, and all I mean, I, in the end, I don't feel like it was fixed. It just is a bummer that it ended so quickly. And it wasn't like 
if the kick would have knocked him out, it would have solidified it being like 22 seconds. I'm like, holy, he just hit him like great, great kick to the face. But it was just like every hit wasn't like a super punch. Like Nate, in his mind, he never gets knocked out. So he could have taken all of those and some. Like he's just one of those guys that doesn't mind the beating and can continue it. But Cowboy, he just, I want to say I read a stat where he's one of the most fighting <clears throat> fighter. Like he's fought the most in UFC history, or he's up there in the top three. He just is always fighting people, so I think all the hits are just coming to an end for him, and they're collecting up. I believe the stat, and I'll look it up, uh, is most wins uh, within a UFC record, uh, which is kind of a misleading concept if, if, if that is the true case, because if you think about it, a lot of the fights, fighters that we were used to had huge stacked records, but they went through UFC, Bellator, Pride, you know, there was a bunch of different options back then. So apparently, you know, now pretty much mostly people are in USC. That's like the number one thing. So, um, but either way, there was, he had a couple of stats that were pretty impressive. Uh, I do agree with you that it's, it's kind of convenient, if you will, that regardless of, of Connor's skills, I, I don't think that there was any type of, um, I don't think the fight was, was screwed or anything like that or, or worked, but, um, I, I do think that they did feed Connor a fighter that he could beat, basically, because we were talking about this, Chris, on Saturday on the wrestling show. You know, if Connor lo- lost in this, I think a lot of people would have lost their enthusiasm of Connor as a fighter. It would probably be a big nail on that coffin of his, uh, you know, his credibility within the fighting uh, world. Uh, but what, what did you think about this, Chris? And now, Mr. 31 year old Connor McGregor is coming back. Uh, he's in a different division, and it seems like everyone is out for his neck. How did you like the, the fight, and what do you think about the repercussions of the fight? So it, it went a lot like I thought it would, which is Connor was going to come out strong. Uh, Kearney kind of starts most his fights a little slow, and Connor came out strong, obviously looking for the knockout. One thing I think people may not have seen before the shoulder strikes is when he goes to when 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 Connor comes in with a huge left, Caroni ducks it, but he also gets caught with Connor's knee directly in the face. So then, as soon as he comes back up, the Connor did something I I haven't ever seen anyone in UFC ever do, which is launch his shoulder directly into the bridge of the nose. I want to say like three to four times, and from that point on, Caroni was just kind of rocked. Uh, you get to the spot over there on the side of the corner. You, you start seeing McGregor faking with his right hand like he's going to go for a jab. And as soon as he does, Caroni kind of instinctively just reaches out and turns his body, which opens up that whole left side, which you don't want to do against Connor. And uh, I think luckily for him, he didn't land that kick full force. Um, but as far as it like being fixed or whatever, you know, that just set up, you know, Connor pouncing on him and laying in the left hands and the fight, the fight was basically over after I think those shoulder strikes, it looked like he broke the guy's nose, especially after the press conference and, and Caroni being like, I was absolutely rocked after the, the shoulder strikes as it being so unexpected in the clinch. And for me, it was unexpected because I had never seen anyone do that out of a clinch like that. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a good fight overall. I don't mind short fights. If, if they're fun to watch, it was a good win for Connor. He didn't really call anyone out, but he hinted at Maz- Mazadov. Uh, and a few other people. So I guess we'll see what's next. I know there was rumors out there for another Mayweather uh, interaction or 
also uh, floating around Pacquiao said he wanted to fight him. So I'm curious to see what he's going to do, if he's going to take the big boxing payday or if he's going to actually settle into the UFC for a while. Because I think like him versus Pacquiao would make him a hell of a lot more money than another UFC fight. But I know that like, from what I've heard, that was like the most searched thing the past two days was Conor McGregor, like 200 and something million searches, like on the same level as like an NFL uh, playoff team as far as what was being searched. So that's you know good for the UFC, good for ESPN. ESPN promoted the hell out of this fight um, in this whole show. I, To me, the rest of the show was pretty good minus that Holly Holmes fight. She just – I don't know what they're going to do with her because she can't go up and fight Nunez again because she's gotten destroyed. Um, yep. But she's kind of just like the gatekeeper for every other competitor. And, uh, you know, she just found what worked and, and took a nice, slow, easy fight, so to speak. But the uh, the counter fight I liked and the shoulder strikes was kind of crazy just because I'd never seen anyone do it like that. At least, at least like that. I've seen people bump with their shoulder, but never like, I'm going to leap and put my shoulder blade into this guy's nose, which was a little insane. I, I guarantee you we see more of that now. Yeah, and um, I like that. That I, I appreciated Holly Holmes for saying that at the end of uh, end of it, she was more concerned about the fact that she didn't think she put on a entertaining match than the fact that she won it with her speech. So, I guess that happens. Um, and Cerrone, uh, um, he holds the UFC records for head kick knockouts, which is seven, and he's had thirty four career fights in UFC, the most that anyone's had in UFC previous to that. So. You know that's uh, that's pretty impressive. But before we move on, let's let's talk about that next part. Who does Connor go against next? Um, I think that that's what everyone's kind of trying to calculate right now, because you know between you have Connor and the welterweight, we obviously know that eventually people want to see him go against Khabib again. Um, then you have uh, you know Jorge Mas- Masvidal, who already commented during the duration of the show talking shit a little bit and also kind of is a hothead himself uh on twitter uh apparently Ch- chel sonnen said something about irish grandmas uh and jorge and he put on twitter yes chel sonnen irish grandmas love me so he's trying to start that shit talk we know that both um like you were insinuating mayweather wants a, a mma fight with him which i think is crazy but then again we thought that it was crazy for the opposite and also pacquiao wants a boxing match against Conor McGregor. Whoever he fights, it's going to be money. Uh, I mean, that's that's the whole concept, especially if it's another Mayweather fight. But what would you like to see him do, Luke, realistically? And does that inevitably go to him going against Khabib for the title again in a different division? Um, I don't think he's going to fight Khabib for a while. Khabib's already said it, um, that he will not allow it. He's got to have at least four impressive fights in Khabib's mind. Now, if he were to go into the featherweight class, beat a bunch of, like, you know, beat, uh, Macedone and then fight, uh, Wondolowski for the title or whoever has it at that, because there's still, there's Holloway in there or Ortega. So there's like, and, um, there's still way better fighters, you know, for him to fight, but I don't think he should get a title fight. I would love it if he did fight, um, I hope I pronounced his name, Macedon. It's something very long. Um, All right, Macedon. I hope he does. uh, Yeah. Uh, Whoever was there at the fight, um, just because they would be fun. 
just uh, just for a fight. But I do think if he were at, at, at one point, if Khabib's still the champ and he somehow gets the featherweight champ, I could see Khabib being like, let's have this mega fight. It would be huge. UFC would make probably the most money ever. It would be the third fight. They have two different belts. Now this is for, like, a lot of stakes. But that's the only way I can possibly see it. I do think Connor is going to be influenced by his outside things because I do think Pacquiao did say he wanted to do that for his final fight. And like you said, if you can make a ton more money going that way, it's what do you want to do. But McGregor right now does look good in that division. And that division, I feel like, very, like, you know, it's the top five are very good if you're not even fighting Alexander for the title. So I just, I don't want to see him jump just because he's Connor doesn't mean he can jump, prove it, get one or two more fights in and then go for the title fight and, and the featherweight. Chris, you're, you're Conor McGregor and you don't give a fuck. What do you do next? I mean, if the Pacquiao fight is something that's there, I take that just for the money. Um, I don't want to see Mayweather in the UFC because the reason that fight works so well is that Mayweather was able to drag him like seven rounds. <laughs> like to me, that's, it was a spectacle, right? Like a little bit of a crowd showing. And I don't know that you can do that in the UFC. It's a different fan base um, and, and make it look good. <laughs> um, but I would, if I was him, I would stay in the weight division he's currently in. He looks, he looks in like much better shape and dropping in and out of weight, weight classes, I think would hurt him more than help him. So uh, fighting Jorge is probably the next big money fight. Uh, Khabib would be great, but like I said, he has to drop weight classes. Um, <laughs> excuse me. And I just don't think that's necessarily the best idea, uh, dropping in and out of weight classes like that, uh, especially when you've lost your last two fights. You, you came off a strong win, but I would kind of try to train where I'm at because I thought he looked fucking great going into this fight. And they're like – you know, like like you guys were just saying, I think there's a lot of people that he can fight in that top five as far as the contenders go. So I'd probably stick around there. But like, if it's me and you get a Pacquiao fight, like I would take that 100 because I mean that thing's gonna be like 100 million or something. It'll be fucking ridiculous how much money you'll make yeah. off that. That's very true. All right, real quick, last question: uh, Do you think that this humbled? Like losing to Khabib and this, what, everything that's happened uh, lately has humbled Conor McGregor, especially looking at how he acted before and even afterwards. Um, you know, not giving into his normal character antics, if you will. Luke. No, not at all. Um, yeah, he did really well right now, but he knows his ass is on a short leash. Um, especially if he wants these big fights like Khabib, like he, you know, he can't. They can't do what they did couple of UFCs ago where, you know, that whole debacle of fighting, like, and everything. He can't keep on getting in trouble. So, I don't feel like, you know, he showed good face right now, but it's Conor McGregor. He's he's somehow going to, once he gets more fighting, if he sticks to the UFC, if he gets more fighting and he keeps on winning, he's going to revert back to the old self. Do you agree with that, Chris, or do you think differently? I feel like it, it depends on what narrative they're trying to to play in the UFC because I, not that I'm going to go full Nick Diaz and say that that fight was a work or whatever, but I mean, obviously at some point you want characters and he's the biggest selling guy in that company. Um, so if they, if the, if the character choice they're wanting to play or the narrative they're wanting to play is 
like, hey, he's a changed guy. They're gonna he's gonna get some strong wins and then go for the title as the changed guy. Uh, maybe verse against someone that you could turn into, like Mazadov, like calling him out and and saying shit to him. If Connor goes the opposite route instead of being Connor, you you could he could do that. But realistically, you know, McGregor's McGregor. He's gonna do whatever the fuck he wants. So who who the hell knows? I mean, I think if I was UFC, I'd be like I I would dial it back and let let someone else take uh take like try to take on that role of being your evil bad guy or or whatever um for a little bit just to build him back up especially after coming off a strong win because <laughs> like if, anytime you see connor in a fight if he wins he could talk so much shit beforehand but as soon as the fight's over he like walks over to the guy for the most part you know excluding that one incident yeah, just like you saw against the cowboy in the cowboy fight, he immediately goes over and talks to the guy. He's like, "Hey, everything I said, like, stop, fuck it, it's work, essentially." Which, for those of you who don't know, work means it's it's fuck. That's all persona. It's all part of his character. It's not how he actually feels in a lot of cases. So, who the fuck? Floyd knows, Mayweather, but... Muhammad Ali. You know, boxers that understand the art of wrestling in the sense of building a character to sell a fight, and Khabib just did not get that. Uh, unlike Mayweather, and I also think that if you had Jorge, he would be able to be able to build a fight like that. As long as the antics don't take over the person and the persona doesn't become him, and he's not throwing fucking trash cans, uh, injuring people on a bus, I think we'll be okay. But uh, yeah, I agree, and uh, we'll have to find out what the Irishman himself will be doing. And uh, maybe I'll be talking about another Irishman later on. There's a, uh, you know, setting that up. All right, I wanted to talk one more thing. Um, I'm going – I think me and Luke are going to do a full cover of Christ on Infinite Earth and really dive into the episodes themselves, kind of like talk about a lot of the uh, crossover stuff. But still, there was a cool element to Christ on Infinite Earth. If you haven't watched it, CW, it's a five-part. Um, you can watch it on their app for free, and they have all five parts put together. Or you can watch them individually if, you know, whatever you want to do, basically. But uh, I would definitely recommend it. Um, even if you haven't kept up like I haven't, you can really get into it. Coolest thing about it, and the one that the thing that kind of set Twitter on fire and, and, and social media in general, was the fact that in a scene, they had Ezra Miller, uh, the actor that's playing the Flash in the movies, that played him in Justice League, um, meeting Grant Gustin, who plays him on the television show, within the speed force. It was a very, very small scene, very comedic. Uh, Grant Gustin accidentally gave Ezra Miller the name, the flash, uh, because he's like, I'm the flash too. And Ezra Miller's like, wait, what, what are you talking about? And that kind of put the, the clockwork in his head. So that's kind of a cool concept. He fades out, but the fact that they did that, the fact they have Kevin Conroy in this, the fact that they have, you know, um, a little bit of cameo from uh, Smallville and, and everything else that they've done it. Really great job spending the budget on getting a pretty good special effects-driven show, but also all the wonderful guests. Uh, Luke, what do you think about when you found out, like I think I told you when I found out uh, the night of, uh, that Ezra Miller crossed over and came into the Speed Force to talk to Grant Gustin's Flash? No, I mean, I was really excited. I mean, when you told me, I was kind of like, wait, what? Because I didn't think they'd be able to get the rights, you know, for the movies and everything and, like, them be cool with, like, taking one of the characters. So it was really cool that it was The Flash because, like, I've seen the first three episodes. The Flash is kind of who it's built around, too, like, something. So 
it was, you know, it was exciting when you showed me it. So uh, I'm excited to see the final two episodes and how everything comes together. Yeah, pretty neat. Um, uh, Chris, I don't know if you, if you, uh, and I don't blame you if you didn't, if you didn't see Justice League and see Ezra Miller's performance, obviously Ezra Miller, he's been in a crap load of movies. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin uh, being one of my favorites in a very, very dark, twisted way. Uh, either way, uh, finding out that they crossed over on this television show that we had the, the movie Flash and the TV Flash meet each other. Do you think that's pretty cool that CW, a smaller company within Warner Brothers, was able to pull off? I, I think it's awesome for the fan base because there was a lot – I remember when Justice League got casted, there were a lot of people that were calling for, for, for everyone to get the TV Flash, right? So – from that standpoint, I think it's awesome as far as a crossover goes and, and really, really, really fucking cool for DC fans in general. So, yeah, I, I dig it. I plan on watching it, especially after uh, what we talked about a little earlier before the show started and the way you kind of hyped it up a bit. Um, but me not going to lie, I, I kind of fell off the CW. I think they gave me a little too much of that universe all at once uh, there for a bit. So I'm going to have to catch back up a little bit before I uh, – dive in just to see what's going on but it, it sounds pretty cool and I, I know as a as a fan of dc especially like there's been so many times where you see these castings and they're like oh, i wish they would do something with cw so it's it's kind of cool to to hear that that happened for sure and i like it because uh well spoiler warning they kind of set up the new multiverse and it's much more condensed and kind of give each group you know, their own world, but actually establish who's on what, uh, which is really, really cool. Um, maybe some guys with rings on them might be on one of those Earths. So appreciate over at CW. You still got that corny-ass fucking, uh, you know, melodrama-style uh, Dawson's Creek-esque way of doing it. But when you have something like this, you don't have to watch the main shows. They kind of just fill you in and you go and you do your thing. So I'd recommend anyone if you've watched it in the past or if you just like DC television and movies, uh, if you will, give it a chance. Try it out. You might enjoy it. Uh, I know I did. But uh, let's let's get into the meat of the discussion today on Monday Suck. Let's talk about our favorite movies of 2019. Um, if you guys listen to Wrestling Geeks Alliance, uh, you'll know how we kind of, me and Chris at least, cover top tens. Uh, so for the new listeners that don't know that, we're going to go, you know, by two. So 10 and 9, 8 and 7, 6 and 5. And then the last four we'll do individually uh, from there. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to just start it off. And like I said when we made our other list for uh, wrestling, uh, this is all subjective. So if you have a problem with any of our lists, uh, deal with it. I don't really, I don't really know what to tell you other than that. But I do want to know your list, so let me know that on social media. You can find me, Danehouse42 on Twitter. I can't believe I just said that. All right, um, my number ten is a movie that I saw actually yesterday. Was catching up on a couple films, and really, really enjoyed the narrative of this movie. Uh, and it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood, uh, the Mister Rogers movie, uh, with uh, Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers. And, you know, it really wasn't so much about Mr. Rogers. Uh, you know, there was an amazing documentary they made the year before that, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which I definitely recommend people check out. I think it got snubbed, actually, for the uh, Oscars for documentaries, which is a crime, if that's true. 
Uh, but it's about Matthew Ray's character. Uh, he's a journalist. He does a lot of hit pieces on people and tries to expose, you know, BS, if you will. And um, his life's getting started. He just had a child with his wife. Him and his dad are at odds, played by Chris Cooper. Incredible, uh, you know, actor that they always put in there in certain places that does a great job. American Beauty is another example uh, that I've seen him in. But uh, Tom Hanks, as this entity that we all know of, Mr. Rogers, kind of mends um, this character of Lloyd, the journalist, and makes him a better person, basically, within it. And I thought Tom Hanks was incredible. I thought Matthew Rise was incredible. I loved the premise of the film. It was just a good movie. It was like I had a choice of watching that or Marriage Story, and maybe Marriage Story would be on my top ten. But I was like, I don't want to fucking get depressed. And, I mean, honestly, I think I made a good decision with that. I still plan on watching Marriage Story because I heard Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are incredible in it. But a movie about Mr. Rogers uh, as opposed to a movie about divorce, this one got me. And my number nine is another happy film, I would say, called The Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, I thought this was an excellent film. It had uh, Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson, which she is absolutely beautiful. Um, and we the, the, the biggest person in this is Zach uh, Gostigan, and he plays – He's a mentally handicapped kid that is in an old folks' home, and that's basically where they, they left him at. They couldn't figure out a place for him to go. And he's getting you know taken care of, but he wants he's obsessed with these 1980s VHSs of wrestling and wants to meet his, uh, his, his idol. Uh, I forgot what his name is. I, I want to say it's a crawfish redneck or something like that. But if it, it – it did have to do with wrestling, which was a cute little undertone and having like cameos from Jake Snake Roberts and Mick Foley were great, but he kind of falls into Shia LaBeouf's lap and they kind of go on a, a, uh, Mark Twain esque adventure, uh, trying to find this wrestling camp. And I really ended up really enjoying it. Uh, found it very endearing and, and Zach should be excellent acting, uh, on, on, on everyone's behalf, but especially Zach, and Shia Buffman keeps on proving how incredible of an actor he is uh, and, you know, how he can take any performance and give a lot of life to it. So I, I do, I do want to see uh, Honeybee, the movie about his father, the biopic uh, that he wrote, but w- I was really happy with him with this. Uh, Luke, what was your 10 and 9 for your top 10 favorite movies? Um, so my number 10 was, <clears throat> I guess – I. I don't know if you consider it a blockbuster, but I guess I'll throw it as a blockbuster. It'll be my only one. But um, it was Alita Battle Angel, and uh, it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. And really feel like it was snubbed on special effects. Uh, really well done movie. It takes place, uh, you know, in a post-apocalypse. Uh, they call it The Fallen, where, uh, you know, there's a city of, that's way above them, and there's only one major city left, and it's floating in. Everyone else was below it, and this doctor who can fix robots finds Alita, and he, she's this old type of cyborg, and you just follow her story, and it's really interesting because it's, like, got really cool special effects and, like, fighting scenes where she's, like, a bounty hunter, and then there's also parts where she's – there's this game that they play where it's um, kind of like rollerball, that old uh, – 2000s movie. I don't know. 
but uh, kind of like that. And uh, but you can kill each other and uh, just really fun. I uh, think they're gonna probably make the way that they ended it off felt like you know they're gonna have it as a series. So I definitely will probably see the next one if they do consider making another one. Um, but yeah, just really fun movie. I mean, every person that I've showed it to has enjoyed it. Uh, just all around fun. Just uh, just thought it got snubbed on special effects. It definitely had really good special effects. And uh, my number 10 is uh, The Irishman. I mean, I'm sure it'll be on everyone's list. Um, I can go into it quickly since it's my first one. It's a really good movie. Um, basically, really good history. One of the main things I really liked was all these other mobsters that, like, you didn't get their background stories, but they're big in history. It showed you when they died and how they died. And I thought that was, like, really cool. How it was, like, kind of like – it was kind of like – um you know, a, a long documentary as a biopic, you know, so very, you know, just well done. Um, how Scorsese shot it. Uh, definitely uh, not as good on the special effects just because it's so hard to age people, um, especially when one um, kind of was confused with Robert De Niro's character, how old he was at the beginning, because they try to make him, you know, seem like he's super young. And I want to say like Joe Pesci's, like a little bit older than him or, and it just never really kind of seemed like that. It kind of always seemed like Robert Nero was like 38 after <laughs> like starting in the mob. But then again, I mean, just really done, well done movie. Uh, so probably, I'm the only one on this list that I've only seen once, but it's just, it'll be a while till I see it again. It's just, it's, it's a very long movie. Gotcha. So 10 Alita battle angel and nine, the Irishman. Uh, Lead of Battle Angel is another movie I need to see. I've heard Rodriguez uh, came back in full form with that movie, and I know a lot of people thought that it got snubbed for best special effects. Chris, what was your 10 and 9? I kind of went the same route. I felt like I had to have like a box office movie, but one that I uh, enjoyed. I mean, I think it was just a fun movie all around, which was Hobbs and Shaw. Um, You know, it's it's a take back into – Fast and the Furious and some of those characters. Uh, obviously, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Statham play those roles perfectly. I liked Idris Elba kind of being this weird uh, cybernetic he like, I, I guess I want to say like trope almost to some of the older um, James Bond type villains. Uh, I thought it was just fun. I thought it was a fun movie all around. It's not the best of that series, but it being kind of a spinoff, I didn't expect it to be, but uh, I saw it in theaters and I really enjoyed it. So that, that was my number 10. My number nine, I think you already talked about Dane was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I thought it was just, to me, it, it watching Tom Hanks do that kind of role in, in general is always a pleasure, whether it's Sully or, uh, or this, he just really can take on a character or a personality and dive into it. And, and I thought it was really great. And more surprisingly, it, you know, like you said, it's, the movie's not really, I mean, in some ways, it's about Mr. Rogers, but it's not full on about Mr. Rogers. So uh, I really, really enjoyed that, and I've watched it multiple times. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, those are my 10 and 9, Hobbs and Shaw, and number 9, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah, he does an outstanding performance. It's very similar to how he was in, um, uh, what is it, Meeting Mr. Banks, uh, where he plays Walt Disney. And but he's still like the minor character within it, really. But you just don't think that. Like Tom Hanks, a masterful actor. All right, uh, getting to my number eight, 
Uh, my number eight is actually Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Quentin Tarantino. That's all you really needed uh, to hear in order for me to be ready for this movie. Also, Margot Robbie's feet. They were also in that movie as well a lot. Um, Quentin Tarantino is very, uh, very, very strange director, but I, I dig it. Uh, he has... It's it's a love letter to Hollywood, like it was presented as. A um, lot of inaccuracies, inaccuracies, obviously, with what happens at the end of the movie. I do think that it got a bit long, and I think that's the complaint with The Irishman as, as well. But the ending really makes up for it. Um, I really think Brad Pitt has a good chance of winning Best Supporting Actor this year. But I, I need to see uh, a couple more movies involving the people in this category. But uh, just amazing stuff. That whole scene where he's within the Manson family and and, and then the ending battle, if you will. Um, you know, and little cameos from Dakota Fanning, Al Pacino, the late, great uh, Luke Perry. Just a, a, a good film and, uh, you know, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, still... I have to say, my last two Tarantino films haven't been two of my favorites uh, compared to his, you know, since Django, basically. But he still is an incredible director and will get my attention every time they put him on a marquee. Number seven, Avengers Endgame. The only blockbuster that I put on this, uh, because to me, it was the accumulation of 10 years of filmmaking, <laughs> if not more. Uh, and the last story involving a lot of the heroes involved in it. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. gives a masterful performance as Tony Stark. Uh, just everyone in that really just top-notch. Does it make a lot of sense with the time travel? No, it doesn't. But I think they still did a great job putting together with an ensemble like that, and that last battle scene is probably one of the most epic battle scenes I've ever seen in a movie. So... Number eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number seven, Avengers Endgame. Luke, what do you have for eight and seven? So these next two really affected me, like, emotionally. One, like, very felt awkward and just disturbed, and the other one pretty sad. But my first one is Midsommar. Very, very well-done movie. I mean, just original concept is just this, this – I, I can't think of the director's name, but he's just – his last two movies and Hereditary and this are just really good at just making you feel really weird. Like it's not a horror movie, but it is a horror movie. Um, it's about a group of kids uh, that one's doing a synopsis on um, like mid mid culture, like European culture, like festivals. And one of his buddies comes from this town that does this crazy festival and it turns into two of them are going to do the synopsis and, this whole festival is just really interesting. Um, what what they're doing, it's just basically, you know, I don't want to ruin it, but uh, it's all about life. And they feel like, you know, life's in three cycles. And once you get to 87, I think, is like the third cycle. It's like three parts of your life. Once you're like 87, you're no longer useful. And so that comes into play. But um, he hits you with, it's like, it's a horror movie that I, I've always, I like, it was tough watching it a second time because I knew how, like, going coming out of it the first time, I was like, wow, because he has some visually shots where it's not where, like, in the first movie in Hereditary where the girl's head, and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this, but it's been out for so long, but little sister's head is 
he shoots and like she, she gets her head knocked off by a pole and it shoots to the shot of her head and it's just like it's just on the road and uh, there's all these bugs and it was just like very visually disturbing but it was like a quick shot but it really stuck out in that movie but this one was just like it took it to a whole new degree um i'm not gonna ruin what what it is but it involves just two people and a cliff and it's 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 really graphic it's it, and it's not like you know here's a quick shot we're gonna pan to it and you're gonna see it and it's gonna go away and you're gonna get reactions it's like no you're getting everyone's reactions but you're really getting to see what the heck's going on and then he does a really good job with the sounds and um the screaming um is just something else that just really was just like a back scratcher and it was just like how like how it made you feel and just like the whole part of the festival and everything and the whole ritual that they were doing. And it was just like, it's just super disturbing. So just that movie, I suggest everyone, if you haven't seen it, watch it fully. Yes. It's, it's pretty tough, but it's really well done. It's really shot amazingly. I mean, just especially where they are in the scene, they're definitely out in the country. So it's, it's just a marvelous movie. My next one, you kind of hinted at it earlier, Dane, where you had a chance to choose it over another one. And I went with Marriage Story. I haven't seen um, the Mr. Rogers movie. I've seen Marriage Story. Um, excellent movie. But like you said, it's about a family going through divorce. And it like starts off with a fairy tale where they want to do good with each other. And it's they're like, nothing's going to happen. He, they originally lived in New York where he's a director and she was a actress. And Scarlett Johansson's character is the actress. And then... They're going to go through this divorce and she's going back to California because she's coming big and she's getting her TV show and all that. And it's really just deep where it's just, you follow this like family. And at first, you know, like I said, they thought they were going to be good to each other. And she gets this lawyer that's really tough and he didn't expect it and kind of blindsides him. And Adam driver's whole character is like, you know, he, he wants to fight for his son. He wants them know that he wants his son to know that he really did care about him and he fight, but he's seeing how like that's so hard to do in a divorce and what it comes to. And it just, it gets to this, these parts where it's, it's beautifully done and you really feel these emotions where it's like both of them. I understand why they're nominated for like, you know, best actor and best female um, because there's just one scene where, it's he's finally he he had an easy lawyer and then he saw that the easy lawyers being the pushover to her lawyer so he got these scumbag lawyers from the beginning and they just had had a really bad like when they're calling each other out like you know kind of in law but it's like not not calling each other out but like when lawyers presenting things while they're better parents and they go to the house and it's like having this day and they get really into this argument and there's this one just part where I just say it, it's, it's beautifully done how they, they act it out. But Adam driver just basically tells Scarlett that he wishes that she dies. Like that would be the best thing for him and the son and all that. And then he just falls to his knees and breaks down. And it's just like, Oh, he punches the wall and then he falls to his knees and breaks down. And it's just such a graphic scene, but it's just so well done how they do it. And then, the whole movie ends. I mean, it's not like a fairy tale where you're like, they're going to get back together, like liar, liar. And all. no, it's just, you know, it ends where the divorce does happen, but it's kind of, they're working through and they kind of met maybe in the middle, but not really. But, and there's another, like, I don't want to keep on going into it, but there's another like really like disturbing scene where you kind of like when they have to go through a mediator and go through like their lives and just each one of them's trying to be friendly with this mediator who's just not really having it. And, like, they're kind of, like, exposing themselves, but not. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's like you said, Dan, it's, 
it's depressing because it's it's a it's about a divorce, but it's really well done how it is, like how they shot it and everything. Yeah, it sounds like the story of us with Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer, except for they don't work it out at the end. It's just more depressing. But I definitely, I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um, I gotta check out all three films with uh, Florence Pugh because she's been on fire. She's nominated for an Oscar. She was in Midsummer. Uh, she was in Fighting with My Family, which I've heard really good things about, about the wrestler Paige. And she was also in Little Women, which I plan on seeing. Uh, so she's, uh, she's an actress now on, on the radar of Hollywood. Uh, Chris, what were your two picks for eight and seven? For number eight, I have Knives Out. Um, I just thought it was a really fun, it was really fun to see kind of a modern – Clue, a modern murder mystery movie, and I I enjoyed all the acting. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis I thought was great. You get Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, uh, Michael Shannon, who's one of my favorite actors. Love I've loved him since the first time I saw uh, Shotgun Stories. It, it was just fun, um, and and something that you don't see a lot in in Hollywood right now, as far as like murder mysteries go, and and uh just all around I, I really enjoyed the film I, I thought it was shot very well uh very bright colors in certain spots i and also i kind of went into it not having any clue what the fuck it was about <laughs> and then realizing what it was about like 10 minutes in, i was like oh okay um so i really enjoyed any it. clue out, but... <laughs> yeah not yeah but that's um yeah so that's my number eight my number seven is joker I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, if I think if I watched it twice, I might enjoy it. I, I, I think maybe the second watch is what I need. Uh, and it probably would have shot up the list a bit more. Obviously I, I, uh, from the Oscar nominations alone, which we'll get into later. Um, Joaquin Phoenix was incredible. I liked Robert De Niro kind of being a, uh, a scummy, well, I don't necessarily want to say scummy, but a big name, sort of like a Dave Letterman or, you know, one of those kind of late night show guys. I thought he played that character very well. Um, I will say for me, it was a little bit long in certain sections, but that was just part of what they were going for, like, as far as cinematography goes. Um, yeah, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, that's my number seven is The Joker. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, moving along, let's get to my six and five. My six, we've already talked about it, a movie called Irishman from a director called Martin Scorsese. If he knew that I put him next to Avengers Endgame in my top ten, I think I would have a talking to from Mr. Marty Scorsese, but whatever. I put his movie ahead of it, and honestly, I probably liked Avengers more. Um, I love Scorsese films. Uh, I've seen almost every single one of them. This is still a damn good film. Uh, yes, the aging effect didn't work the most that I think – it looked awkward in parts. There's a part in particular where De Niro's kicking the crap out of some guy outside of a uh, gas station, and he doesn't look like he's in his 30s. He looks like he's definitely in his 60s, late 60s. But if you see the, the before and after – of how they looked, you know, that's when you kind of realize that there was a lot of work done. It just, instead of like him looking like he did in Raging Bull or in Taxi Driver or any of those movies, uh, he kind of looked like like a younger version of how he does now, which is kind of an awkward concept. But either way, 
De Niro to give us a awesome performance, drives a movie, uh, and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci steal the movie to me. Um, I thought they were both incredible. It is the story of uh, of uh, Joey Hoppe, I believe. I hope I got. I hope I pronounced it right. Jimmy Hoffa, sorry, uh, who was big within the um, the unions uh, back during that time period, and you know where this this guy, the Irishman who works for the mob and does hits for them, you know their relationship, and that was some of the best stuff within there. Uh, the endings very very unsettling. Uh, just great performances all around. Even even uh, even Anna Paquin not saying much, but the 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 direction that she got with her face, just masterful. So, yeah, Irishman's number six. My number five was a movie I saw a couple weeks ago randomly. Uh, movie called Uncut Gems. Uh, thought this was an incredible film. Uh, directed by Josh and Benny Softy. Uh, I, Adam Sandler as the main actor in this, and does great. Uh, Adida Menzel plays his wife. Uh, Julia Fox, very new actress on the uh, scene. Lakeith uh, Stainfield, who has been awesome since popping up, really, and up. Uh, not, yeah, wait, wait, was it up? I don't remember. Um, no, no, not up, us. Anyways, doesn't matter. And then Kevin Garnett, actually, was, was everyone gave a good performance, and you wouldn't think a lot of them would be able to step to that level, but just the story of this this douchey, you know, uh, jewel dealer who is always getting himself into a pickle, but getting himself out of it by betting nonstop, whether it be on basketball games, and getting involved this this one uncut gem that Kevin Garnett gets obsessed with and wants to keep it as like a good luck charm. And the story, and Adam Sandler, you, you see him as Adam Sandler, within five minutes he's gone. He's lost in this role. He's not the beep ba 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 like none of that shit. And, I mean, that's that's nothing, you know, between, um, oh, man, uh, even Click, uh, Funny People, uh, Punch Drunk Love, he's played, he, he's a good actor. He's proven his chops. This is the Adam Sandler I want to see in movies, like, he can do his fun comedy stuff. He can make them better, actually, like he used to. That would be even better. Uh, but really just diving into a performance like this, and we feel bad for this this scumbag, sort of, and everything that happens throughout a couple days, and then the ending result. I'm not going to give it away, but uh, fantastic film. Uh, Luke, what do you have for six and five? My bad, guys. Sorry about that. I was just talking to myself. Um, I was saying that these next two movies are my two movies that I really had fun with. Um, I definitely recommend seeing them if neither of you have. My first one is Jojo Rabbit. Um, first off, Scarlett Johansson's had an amazing year this year with its Endgame, Marriage Story, and this one. She's definitely nominated for two Oscars. Um, for both of her performances in Marriage Story and JoJo. She is, it's about a boy, a nine-year-old boy living in Nazi Germany. And, um, you know, he's kind of living that propaganda life. And his mom is Scarlet, and, you know, she's older. And their dad, you kind of don't know. Like, you hear that he's gone, and you don't know if he went to the war. Well, he's a deserter, 
in the war, so you don't really know that backstory, but it comes down to where this little boy who thinks Jews are like mythical beasts and all that, and his like imaginary friend Hitler, um, uh, you know, finds out that his mom is hiding a Jewish girl. And it's really just well done how you see this character development where this little kid um, just completely thinks about, you know, the Jews as these evil bee-sucking vampires. And um, he's trying to, like, figure out her, and she plays, like, into, like, being this, like, terrible person and all that. And then in the end, um, you know, really sad things happen. I'm not going to be any spoilers, but uh, in the end, he figures out that he really uh, enjoys this um, girl, and he actually sticks up for her at one point and says it's his sister and, and everything. But just all-around amazing movie. Uh, when you first kind of saw the preview, the whole Nazi thing was kind of like, what the heck is, you know, this? But definitely it was fun, um, you know, very comedic. <clears throat> Uh, Scarlett has some really good comedic lines. Um, cannot think of the girl's name who plays the Jewish, the Jewish girl, but she has some good lines. To the, and then just this nine-year-old boy who, the little kid, um, does a really good job, you know, playing his just, like, naive nine-year-old self. Uh, the next one is another, I guess, biopic, and that's Ford vs. Ferrari. Had an amazing time with this one. This one's really fun. Um, you know, it's about uh, Ford number two. Back in the day, um, besides, you know, him and his people, uh, they were going to buy out Lamborghini, no, like Ferrari, but Ferrari decides to spit in their face, like go all to Europe because that's what they were going to do. They were just going to buy Ferrari and then be all that because at the time, I guess, Ferrari wasn't making that much money. And um, he basically, and Antonio Ferrari, I think that's his name. I know it's Ferrari, but just basically says, you know, after you, Ford can't make shit. They just make 10 cars, so... The whole time is they're going <clears> to <throat> build a car that's going to beat them in the Lamont race because that's what Ferrari and, and everything, and it's a whole day race. And they go and get Matt Damon's character, who is um, the Shelby, uh, after Shelby Mustang. So Shelby's going to be the car. So he's the last person ever to win the Lamont, but he's too old. And then Christian Bale's character, who I'm really disappointed he did not get nominated for supporting actor um this is another amazing christian bale performance where he literally Agreed. plays this character and he just steals he steals you know kind of the you know spotlight but he he takes his character and then you know it's this whole thing and it's, it's you know it's real life what happened it made me actually like you know respect like i looked back at like you know i did a little bit of history on it and it's kind of sad the ending but it's just you know all around fun movie and uh you know matt damon and uh christian just definitely you know were really good in it both of them are incredible, especially Christian Bale. Um, Chris, what were your uh, your two picks for six and five? For number six, I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I actually enjoyed this uh, more than the last Tarantino film, and I believe it or not, I did actually see this one in L.A. I was out there for work, and it was showing, so I actually got to see this in theater. This is, I think this is one of the few that I saw in theaters this year. That's pretty um, cool. And, uh, not kind of on my own, but uh, I, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I looked at the ending. I think you kind of talked about it a little earlier, almost as like an alternate universe, similar to you know, the Watchmen, for instance, where Nixon is still president. Uh, <laughs> so I looked at it kind of like that. So the ending didn't bother me as much uh, as I know it did some people. But uh, the the big thing here is to me, Brad Pitt was fucking phenomenal. And it is this, 
uh, brash stunt man who's just constantly, I guess, babying or being <laughs> Rick Dalton's uh, only friend. Um, I, I thought it told a really fun story, especially glor- you know glorified Hall, Hall, um, Hollywood and seeing it in theater. There, I don't know if it, I haven't watched the film version. Um, they did an entire kind of bio beforehand of a, a famous stuntman. I can't, his name is escaping me right now. Um, and then obviously I got, there was some Quentin Tarantino, um, trailers that were thrown in there that I think made the experience a little bit more. So it was one of the most fun things I saw uh, of the year and the ending is absolutely crazy. I'm not going to go into, to what exactly happens, but it's great, uh, from everything from, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, uh, Rick Dalton, and, and Brad Pitt's character, Cliff Booth, and, and kind of what I would I, what I would call the last fight, so to speak, uh, in the film. But then also just the uh, the Italian wife of Leonardo DiCaprio and, and, and her acting, and I, the actress's name uh, is escaping me right now. But uh, yeah, just good overall. I really really enjoyed it. It was uh, it's it's always fun when you can see the Manson family get fucked up. So that's that's positive. Um, but yeah, that, that's my number six, my number five. Um, I guess this is my sad movie or one that I would throw in here. I don't, well, it's, it's sad, but it's also heartwarming was Mickey and the bear. Um, I don't know if, it, if either of you guys got to see this one, but I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think Camilla Maroney, I believe is how you pronounce her name was just absolutely incredible and an actress to watch out for. It's just a family drama about her growing up in Montana um, with her, uh, with her single and and veteran father. And uh, she kind of has to take over responsibilities in the household and and her acting is just incredible. And it it was um, sad, heartwarming at the same time. Um, And I I just really, really enjoyed it. It's kind of, it was kind of the one standout like sad film for me last year. Um, or drama, I should say. I've heard about this film, and I'm checking it out right now. It's got almost 50 reviews, 100%. I don't know the actress, but I'm always up for finding some new stuff. That's what I love about doing lists like this, you know, whether it be the listener or for us, you know, any movie that we listed that we, we didn't see, you know, now we get to discover that film. And, you know, when we go into Oscars, there's quite a few I'd still need to get caught up on. Um, but all right, let me get to my number four. It was a film that Luke already uh, was talking about a second ago. I absolutely love this film, Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Taiki Watiti, man. What we do in the shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People. I am one of the only people that I'm not the biggest fan of Thor Ragnarok within how Thor is used and Loki is used. But visually comedically separating it still a very very well done film this one i mean how do you take a concept where it's about a kid that's obsessed with hitler because he's a hitler youth during nazi germany and he hates jews but you actually make it endearing and beautiful and the one scene in particular that whether you've seen it or not chris or luke i know that you have where he finds what he finds in the courtyard uh, and it completely gutted me. Um, but the movie itself, for something with such, you know, uh, controversial topics within there, it's it's very happy. Uh, you know, it's it's still upbeat and it's still like a fun film and it makes you laugh. And I really appreciated it. I think that Taika Waititi 
he's got a lot going for him. I know that he's doing the next Storm movie, and I know that he's commissioned to direct the next Star Wars film, uh, or he's one of the guys that's in line to direct a Star Wars film. I'd like to see some original stuff, honestly. I think that Hunt for the Wilder People was amazing, very underrated during its time period. Uh, and I also think that um, what we do in the shadows, both the television show that he produces and the original movie was fucking hilarious. So huge fan of Taika's approach at, at, at directing. Luke, what was your number four? So my number four was um, a movie that I appreciate a lot the second time I watched it. And I do want to quickly shout out to like drama thrillers this year. That, like I just, I forgot to do it in the movie, but Parasite. Ready or Not and Brightburn are all great, but this one's my kind of drama thriller, and Chris already alluded to it earlier, and that's Knives Out. I thought Knives Out was really good. At the first, it wasn't like the first time I saw it, you know, I really appreciate it, but the second time I seen, like, having a better perspective and how it's all shot where they're all kind of, like, telling their story of the night before, because, like, it's one of those movies where you know the whole time what, like, what happens quickly where, um, you know, the rich father... Uh, ends up like who's a murder mystery writer ends up you know committed suicide and now they're being investigated and just really fun how he full circles the whole movie and like you can kind of like see it and just like you know his whole build up and like you can definitely see like what he wanted like to accomplish watching him the second time and like you really appreciate how it's like done together there's a you know a quote where it's just like talking about a character and he was like he wouldn't know the difference between a prop and a real knife and it's just like a really like you know big line and it's just like you know really really cool part of the movie and uh yeah just a really good thriller kind of kind of modern day flu i mean clue but not really i mean i guess it could be in the clue-esque thing since it is kind of but uh the way you know the way it's done and all that and because it takes day uh like nine days after the whole like um, suicide happened, and now you know they're like investigating it. But yeah, just overall, just fun movie. Yeah, I still need to see that. Uh, Chris, what do you have for number four? Number four, I have Western Stars. I really enjoyed it. It is more of a documentary slash music video, but I did get to experience this one in theaters. Um, it's pretty short. I think it's under 60 minutes. If you're a Bruce Springsteen fan at all, I highly recommend going to check it out. Uh, I thought the music inside of it's great. It's kind of a return to solo Bruce Springsteen, but also the entire album is influenced by Southern California, like pop music. So early 19, you know, 1970s or like Glenn Campbell, for instance, and, and Burt Bacharach. Um, but all the music on it is absolutely great. And the filming of it and the way it's shot, and a lot of the cinematography I really, really liked. Um, so that was my number four. Another documentary that I've heard a lot about uh, with that one. All right, so number three, I have Joker. Todd Phillips directed movie about uh, basically the way I perceive this film, and I know everyone kind of judges things differently, but – Todd Phillips used a pop culture icon like the character of the Joker, this this villain, you know, that's always evil, and gave layers to him to kind of show not only uh, the class system within America still to this day with the lower class, but also, and especially, 
you know, someone that has a very, very bad mental disorder, what can happen if it progressively gets worse and he doesn't have treatment or, you know, the, the right type of situation itself. So I thought it was a very well done movie. It's disturbing, uh, to say the least. Uh, it really makes you think. At the end of it, I didn't know how I felt, but I think that was actually a good thing. And Joaquin Phoenix, and uh, there could be two Jokers with Oscars. That's all I have to say after this year. I don't know. I need to finish a couple more movies, but masterful. I know I've said that before, but really when it comes down to it, that's the best word to describe Joaquin Phoenix. It's masterful performance. He becomes a character that's the Joker – but it's the Joker beforehand, so he gets to add the elements of himself and whatever he wants to put into it. So I was very impressed by this movie. It took me by surprise. I knew what I was getting into, but I didn't exactly know what I was getting into. So, yeah, uh, number three, Joker. Luke, what do you have for your number three? So my top three are movies that really just gave me like high anxiety the whole time. And that's what I kind of want in a movie. My third one, you already touched on it's uncut gem. It's a great movie. Um, Adams definitely should have been nominated. You, you don't see him as Adam at all. He plays this terrible person that you just really like kind of rooting for him to get out of it. And he just always seems to screw it up, but he has this plan to get out of it. And you just, on this ride with him where you're just like, you, you fucking asshole, stop it. But God, dude, how does it always pan out? And if you've watched it a second time, you kind of see he gives these goombas like the runaround. Like they're almost in every scene, like in the background or something's happening where there's, they're immediately like entering the scene and something's happening where they're leaving. But he's always giving these like, these money collectors, these two goombas, just the run around. And it's just at the end, it's just, man, he does some crazy things and he can, he, it all almost pans out for him. And it's just, you really just feel for the character and just, he plays this just Jew in, and uh, the diamond district of uh, New York, which I didn't even know was like its own entity of New York of the diamond district. But he re- that whole just in like you said, Kevin Garnett does a great job and all that, and falling in love with this gem and all that. But definitely high anxiety the whole time. Just everything that he does, Adam, it just continuously gets worse, but pans out, but gets worse, and you're just like, what the fuck, man? Like, stop. <laughs> oh man, it's like the guy that's at the casino that does not know when to stop, you know, playing until all of a sudden after he wins a shit ton of money. He has to get up his house, his wife, (laughs) you know, everything basically to the casino. But, yeah, high anxiety movie. Holy shit. Completely agree with you on that. Chris, uh, what do you have for three? Anything with some high anxiety? No. Actually, the most opposite of high anxiety. Um, No, I I really need to see Uncut Gems. That is one of – I have not seen in Jojo Rabbit. I have not seen. But uh, they're on the docket before – hopefully this week, um, barring – you know, any, anything crazy happening, I, I do plan on trying to knock those two out. So if, if you see that those two are not on my list, um, they're highly regarded and I'm going to get around to them. But uh, my number three, and probably I, I'm going to say it may be the only animated film on any of ours, uh, our list, but I, I have Toy, Toy, Toy Story 4. I love Toy Story. 
It was super enjoyable for me just to dive back into that world. By no means do I think it is the best Toy Story movie, um, but they did a really great job of still keeping that franchise going. Uh, I thought the soundtrack was incredible. I thought the animation was incredible, and I still love all of those characters. Um, so while Tom Hanks makes my list twice, uh, I, I just, you know, I, I felt like I needed to put an animated movie here. I try to see a, a bunch of these. I, I love the whole Pixar uh, DreamWorks style of, of film, and uh, this was, was my favorite out of all the ones that came out last year. So, and, and one of my favorite movies in general, probably one that I'll end up revisiting more than some of the others. Um, regard, like, as bad as that sounds, it'll probably be, you know, Joker, Knives Out, and, and Toy Story 4 will be the ones that I uh, go back to the most. So I felt like it needed to be pretty high. Um, and, like, there was a lot of cheerful, uh, cheerful revisits to different characters and some not so happy goodbyes. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. I know a lot of other people said it was too short, but for me it was the perfect amount of toy story that I needed in my life that I didn't know that I needed in my life. So number three is <laughs> toy story four. I need Dang. to get better at ant. Yes, Luke. I was going to say, can I just really quick chime in? Chris, you're going to be very yeah. proud of me. Um, it doesn't make my list, but this movie came out on my birthday last year, and I made 15 of my friends go see it, and uh, we filled up the whole row, and uh, we saw it opening night on my birthday. So I just had to chime in, and it's a great movie. I laughed at um, Key and Peele's characters, uh, the two, the two uh, circus uh, stuffed animals. They're amazing in it. It's really good, but I just I just wanted to chime in because it did come out on my birthday last year, and I made a bunch of my friends see it. And I will and I say, I bet every one of twenty nine. Yeah, seeing, seeing I bet every one of your friends had a good time too. That's the thing about that movie. Yeah, oh, yeah we all came I'm out of it laughing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit something. I haven't seen that many of the animations that have come out this year, and there's been a bunch that I've wanted to see, and I still have not seen Toy Story three. Oh well, either yeah, you need to, you need to you need to set out a block and just like uh, I know I have, down, I have Disney Plus eat some popcorn <laughs> yeah even not I love I love the first I love the first two movies and I I don't have I've, I've just I haven't seen Toy Story three but I've I, I want to see those two three and four very badly now but um anyways uh let's let's move past that uh and get to my number two uh start off we're almost done guys craziness. Uh, and my number two is actually a film that you uh, mentioned, Luke, uh, called Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, you know, you said a lot about it. Matt Damon plays Carroll Shelby. Uh, you know, he's won the Lamont. He can't do it anymore because of a heart condition. He gets the best uh, driver that he knows, Ken Miles, a British guy played by Christian Bale, to be the driver for Ford while they're, in, you know, uh, perfecting the GT to be able to beat a Ferrari at the Le Mans. Uh, they lose the first time, and the second time is them building that, and the relationship between the two guys and Christian's problem, or Christian's character's problem with uh, Ford Jr.'s right-hand man and the tension between them and just how big business can fuck over pretty much anything. But great film. Sad end, ending, another anxiety all over the place movie, especially during certain parts. And Christian Bale, Matt Damon, 
he was fantastic. But Christian Bale constantly proves that he's one of the greatest actors of his generation with this movie to me. Just fantastic. Luke, what do you have for number two? My number two was your number three um, is Joker. Um, this movie is definitely high anxiety the whole time. I saw this the first night it came out, and then I promised you I'd see it. So I saw it literally two times within eight hours <laughs> of itself. So I definitely, obviously, I liked it a lot. Uh, it's great. Um, just, you know, you're seeing this guy who basically, like you say, he's got a mental uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, mental health not there, and it's just society and how it's not working with them, and you kind of get, like, his last glimmer of, like, society and and this this character where it's his neighbor and all that, and something big kind of happens there. I, I don't want to be spoiler, but, I mean, I feel like if you haven't seen it by now, but, you know, but I feel like that is his last, like, real, like, representation of like society being good to him and all that and when he finally commits to I'm done with this I'm done with everything he figures out his whole past and all that and how his life is actually a a comedy and when he the last 30 minutes are amazing that's like maybe it's the last 30 probably 25 minutes is when you're really getting Joker Hakeem playing Joker but just his whole mannerisms just him sitting in that chair with in the middle of that interview, and he just, like, such, because, like, he's such a happy-go-lucky guy at the beginning, and now he's just, like, this guy who's just, like, everything, he's just, like, I'm just not about it anymore and all that, and then just the shit hits the fucking fan very quickly and and that, and then um, just one, I I don't ever really want to buy, like, posters of movies and all that, but there's just this one shot where I definitely buy it where he's standing up on, the middle of you know he did of this cop car and he takes the blood because he just got in a really bad accident and how they freed him and there's all these people cheering to for him to stand up and he takes his blood and makes the smile and like holds his hands and I would buy that as a poster because that shot right there is just amazing and it just like so much and just emotion and just like his whole character changed the whole character development of what they did with the Joker like you said they gave this character who really is like his only motive is to be sinister and like just like a terrible person like he has no motive besides that and they made you feel for the joker and that's just crazy like you got those feelings for just a a villainous character that the joker is yeah completely agree with you the fact that you can feel sympathy for the joker is just insane uh chris what do you have for number two For number two, I have Apollo 11 as a kid who grew up kind of obsessed with NASA and and space and space travel. This was the best deep dive I've ever seen uh, as far as the moon landing goes. I thought it was just everything about it was perfect. The way they were able to get all the historical facts out there, it was just put in such a well format. If you have, if you like uh, NASA or space travel at all, it's one that I highly recommend. I kind of assumed it wouldn't be high on other people's lists or make lists, but uh, it's one of the best documentaries I've probably seen in the past 10 years. So I highly recommend it for everyone. And and that was my number two. Is that the one where they like redid as much footage as they could kind of like with that world war two documentary series that they did, like they revamped all the footage they could and like made it really, really like, I heard, I heard about this documentary, basically. 
Yeah, they did. They did a ton of recoloring. They did a ton of uh, getting stuff to look great in 4K, etc. Um, but just the actual beginning to end, I feel like if you watch this documentary, you know everything that you would want to know about Apollo 11, and it was just very, very well done. And I think it should win documentary this year. I could be wrong. But it's, uh, it should be a high fucking contender because it's, like I said, one of the best documentaries I've seen in the past 10 years. Yeah, I definitely need to check that out. I believe that one's up for uh, for for an Oscar this year. Well, we're on the number one choice. And uh, mine um, is a movie I saw a couple days ago, and it completely blew me away. When it comes to seeing movies in theaters, so a lot of these I didn't. But this is a film, you know, I, I think with the same level of intrigue that a lot of people had for Gravity uh, when that movie came out, that you need to fucking see this film in theaters. If you haven't seen 1917 from Sam Mendes, go see it in theaters. It's something that you just need to completely get everything out from the world and just watch this journey of these two soldiers uh, one played by Dean Charles Chaplin, the other one, uh, George McKay, who are two very much unknowns. And they're giving, this is during World War One. they're in trench warfare, and they're in France. And they're giving the orders to cross over to the enemy lines in Germany, find the troops that are, are think that they're going to be able to win the battle they're going into, but they're actually going into a slaughter from the Germans. And one of the kid's brothers, uh, played by Richard Madden, is uh, that, that exact troop that they're trying to save. Uh, Richard Madden's in it for two seconds. Benedict Cumberbatch is in it for two seconds. Uh, Andrew Scott's in it for two seconds. Colin Firth's in it for two seconds. So the big actors that they have in the film, it's a short amount of time compared to George and Dean's performance. And the biggest thing is that Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes try to make it look like one continuous shot. If you thought Birdman was impressive with Keaton, this is fucking crazy. And, of course, with explosions going all the black, there's certain things that they can do to extend it. But some of these shots had to have been recorded for 20 minutes on set pieces set up in France with people going in and out, soldiers, and it was just mind-blowing. The film was absolutely incredible. What they were able to pull off was incredible. The fact that they didn't need a bunch of, like, huge action moments or that these guys weren't the most efficient fighters. You know, they got put in situations where they're, they're like, you know, fight or flight. And you always have to fight in that situation. And it's just a very well-done war movie. have not seen anything really about World War I made. And I'm sure someone's going to tell me 50 other ones. But point being, it's usually World War II. And it was it was uh, very interesting to see this one play out. Luke, what do you have for your number one? Uh, real quick, fuck you, sir, because my number one is your number one. Um, but real quick, before I get into 1917, <laughs> I'm going to give a quick plug to AMC because you two are kind of making me shameful. I've seen every single one of these movies in theaters. I highly recommend getting the AMC pass. It is $20 a month. You can see three movies a week, any movie, IMAX, Dolby, so there's the AMC little plug. It's definitely worth it. Twenty dollars a month, hundred percent worth it. So saw this movie in Dolby, and that's AMC's like amazing sound, amazing 
you know, picture quality. And it was, it lived up to like, you have to see it in Dolby if you see it in theaters, if you have a chance to see it in Dolby or whatever their theaters are called Dolby with the better sound because this movie is marvelous. It's going to win every, um, I think it's going to win every single award it's in, especially sound. Um, the symphony scores that they have in it are just magnificent, especially with the horns and the drums, the way they come and they can build up the scene where it's just like, like Dane's saying is how they shot it, where it looks like a continuous shot and you're just following these people. And like, you get the anxiety from the music and everything that's happening. And it's just very well done. Um, I, I don't think Dane, there's ever been a, a movie about World War uh, One, but then again, we can probably find out maybe later, but it was just such a terrible war where it was just like they're experimenting with everything and there wasn't any uh, like war crimes against humanity. So there was like mustard gas. These are trench warfares where it's just like people are stuck in trenches for multiple years of their life and like, you know, just terrible things happen to them. And there's just like beautifully like well done scenes where it's like you don't see any like battles like Dane kind of said, but like you can see like the effect of the battle where they're about to cross over initially into like the front lines in no man's land. And they're talking about their last, what would be the South bunker. What's it like? Can we go cover there in case there's anyone? And they're like, no, and it's blown. It's completely covered in bodies. And you're kind of just like, you know, thinking like, Oh, you know, completely covered in bodies. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to see anything. Well, get to a scene where they fall into it. And, um, one of the guys' arms end up going into one of the dead cadavers on the ground and just really just well done, just how you can see, like, you know, they're portraying this terrible war, but you're not really getting that much. And high anxiety the whole time. The end fight, like, this movie made me cry twice. It, it has a part in the middle where you won't see it coming. It completely blindsided me. Um, super sad. And then the end, it's completely sad, but even the last 15 minutes where it's like, you know, cause the whole time it's about their, I think they might have nine hours before this battle and they have to get the, to the second, um, the 16th platoon, or I think that's what their name is and battalion. And, um, you know, it's like really counting down on the clock and he just, this one character has to commit to like, I need to go get this message and this battle's about to happen. And, man, was my heart chasing at that moment, Dane. I just wanted him to just get there and execute what their whole mission was. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, wow. It's like getting yourself in worse and worse situations just continuously. And uh, really, really, I thought the film was very well done. I I love the new war films that have been coming out lately. Between that, uh, between uh, the last Nolan movie, um, Dunkirk, uh, between what was Mel Gibson's movie with uh, Andrew Garfield where he played the uh, soldier. Yeah. That style of being right in the fucking battle. Like, you know, it's, it's very hard to replicate, but those films, man, especially this one, I, I was very impressed. And like I said, Roger Deakins, he needs to win cinematographer for the next five years just for this one fucking film. Like, holy crap. Anyways, off the hype train a little bit, Chris, what's your number one? My number one is Ford versus Ferrari because I one I'm I love cars. I'm huge, <laughs> huge into uh, this early racing scene specifically. Oh, sorry, I apologize. I was talking to myself. Uh, yeah, my number one is Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, it stars one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite cars. Uh, Ford, the GT40 is is beautiful. 
my only complaint about the movie at all is they didn't go into Ford's failure the first time that Ford entered the GT40 as much as I would have liked because what they don't tell you is an American team actually won with the with the Ferrari. So it wasn't a it wasn't an Italian team that won. Um, I think they did a great job of at the beginning pitting Enzo being the cocky asshole, but it, the actual problem was with Ford and kind of Carroll wanting to do these crazy things that he didn't want. So like the actual problem was more internal than anything else. So your your bad guy, uh, so to speak, throughout this was you know your vice president, your vice president of Ford, and I think they did a really good job of showing that. Uh, that being said, Christian Bale is phenomenal in this fucking movie um not that i would expect anything less that was the favorite actor i was talking about it's just great start to finish it's if you don't know the story of ford versus ferrari or the 60 le mans before both of these cars were basically banned it's it's absolutely phenomenal i i can't say enough about this movie seeing it in theaters was just insane um one it I, to me it's got to be the greatest car movie of all time maybe up there with I guess Bullet if you want to consider that a car movie or Vanishing Point but I I really really enjoyed it the acting like I said was perfect the only thing I would say is like some of the historical things I think we could have dove into a bit more but it wasn't that kind of movie um, I fucking loved it it's high up here. And now I'm going to give the surprise because I held out on The Irishman. The Irishman did not make my list, but it does make an honorable mention for me. I liked the movie. I just had a hard time getting through it. It was very, very long. Um, it was about a story that I kind of already knew with Jimmy Hoffa and how all of that stuff shook out, just like most of Scorsese's films starring those actors. Um, and the, the, the aging process did bother me a bit, but it was still a good movie. Um, just not enough to crack my top 10 of, of favorites. If I had to slot it in somewhere, being that I only really have Hobbs and Shaw as that like blockbuster, here's your action film, um, I would probably slot it in at number 10. But uh, I wanted to save it. I wanted to save the honorable mention just uh, as a surprise for everybody. And that way people can hit me on Twitter later. I gotcha. No, that, that's respectable. Luke, did you have any um, honorable mentions that you wanted to say before we move on? No. No, yeah, I mean, we I kind of hit them quickly. I'll say them again. I mean, if you guys haven't seen Parasite, um, it's a foreign flick, um, but it's definitely worth the, you know, if I hate people that say, oh, I don't like to read. Um, it's too fast. It's like, no, you just can't read. Just admit it to yourself. But um, <laughs> it's it's just really well done how, it, 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 how it's uh, played out. Um, I thought it was like going into it, honestly, thinking was um, a Japanese version of the Vader of the Body Snatchers, because of Parasite and the cover of the movie, because I had no other recollection of what the movie was about. And then um, Brightburn is a great movie. It's a, basically a horror flick of Superman and what goes wrong if uh, Superman at 12 years old finds out, like a kid, that he's really just like the strongest person on the world. And it's very graphic, and it's really good. And if they make another one, I'll definitely see it. And then the last one's Ready or Not, um, about a girl who marries into this very famous uh, board game. I guess it would be uh, it's Kellogg or what's the big board company, but it would be like the famous board family company. and Hilton every, Bradley. Yeah, Hill and Bradley. And, and basically if you marry into it, you got to play this. Uh, they've got this like weird hysteria of a family where you got to play a game and whatever game, it's like one that they made, whatever game you just have to, you know, play whatever it is. But 
if you get this one game called Ready or Not, uh, it's basically hide and seek, and, and it's about this family needs to hunt you, and if you survive the night, you're good, but they're trying to kill you the whole time, and at first she doesn't know it's a game. She thinks it's just a playful game, but it's really not. But the ending kind of is weird, so that's why it doesn't make my top list. I would uh, Apparently also – Oh, sure. Go, Chris. I was going to throw out Marriage Story and Pain and Gloria. I, I enjoyed both of those movies as well. I think they deserve an honorable mention. I unfortunately didn't get to see 1917. I was supposed to go see it Friday, but uh, life got in the way of that. So um, I'm sure that's going to be great. As it will. I'm planning on going to see that in the theater. Yeah, I think that you'll definitely enjoy it. I can't. That movie just completely blew me away. I I guess I haven't seen a lot of uh, great movies other than the ones that I listed because uh, Spider-Man Far From Home was fun. Um, I liked the the first one more. Um, And uh, Terminator Dark Fate was not at all. Uh, That was, once again, Cameron, if you could just be honest with us if the Terminator movie is going to suck or not. You got me with Genesis and the one before that, too. Damn it. And I actually liked Aladdin, so if you didn't like it, I don't know what the fuck you were looking for. I thought Will Smith was good in it. But really, my top ten, I think all those films are great films that you can watch again. And I think that you guys had some amazing choices yourselves. Uh, Really, I'm going to be enjoying seeing some of these films with the actors nominated that we're about to go over with the Oscars and some of the ones that you guys both suggested. So I'll have to go back. Let me... um, Let's get into this. We're going to go over a couple of the categories. Uh, the Oscar nominations have come out. I think it was last Monday. Uh, and we'll talk about, you know, I'll list the category, say what you like about it, which one out of the films that you've seen you could see winning, and also if you think anything got snubbed, uh, mention that. But best picture, we have 1917 from Sam Mendes, Ford versus Ferrari from James Manigold, Joker from Todd Phillips, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino, Parasite, Bong Joon-ho, uh, The Irishman, uh, Martin Scorsese, Little Women, Amy Pascal, Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi, and Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach. And the only ones I have not seen on this list are Marriage Story, Little Women, and Parasite, it looks like. Man, now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, I want 1917 to win, but I could see... I could see Joker winning. Uh, you know, you have Tarantino on here, and you have Scorsese. I'm going to go with 1917. I really, it, it, for for me, for some reason, either that, and maybe it's because they're my one and two, but I could see either Ford v. Ferrari or 1917, but I could see Joker somehow winning it too. All these are very stacked. I From everything I've heard about Parasite, it looks amazing. I've heard Little Women is great. I've heard Marriage Story is a really great film, but yeah, I'm going to go 1917 or Ford v. Ferrari, and then my dark horse pick would be Joker somehow winning and people going crazy because of it. Luke, what do you think about the categories? Um, I I mean, pretty much I've seen every movie but Little Women. Um, You know, every single one of them made my list but Parasite. Uh, Oh, and Once Upon a Time. I really don't want it to come down to because it's Tarantino and Scorsese's name because they're not their best ever movies, and especially for a year that's had really amazing movies. I don't think I've ever seen this many nominations for best. This is a Agreed. lot of nominations for best picture. Um, and even if you feel snub like Uncut Gem, like 
or like some other movies not making. But uh, for the longest time, when I first saw Joker, I was like, holy shit, Joker, there's a comic book movie that might have a chance of winning an Oscar for the best picture of the year. And I was there for the longest time. And then I saw 1917. And I know how the Oscars go. And they love just how well the movie shot and what it really takes and everything. And like I said, it's definitely going to win Best Sound. If it doesn't win Best Picture, it's definitely winning Best Sound because it's just the score is amazing. The movie is amazing. So it's 1917. My second would be Joker. And I think of a dark horse. I'm going to go with you with um, 4V Ferrari. But then again, Marriage Story could be third in my mind. But they're both really good movies. Chris, what do you think for Best Picture? So the ones that I didn't see out of this list, just to go ahead and get that out of the way, would be uh, 1917, unfortunately, and uh, Jojo Rabbit, I have not seen. I want to see both of those, so that's good. that's going to happen. Um, my wife's a huge Little Women fan, so I, I saw this. I, I personally like the Christian Bell version better that was done previously. Um, and it probably has something to do with the fact that there's like six versions of that on film that detracted me from this uh, Little Women story. But um if I had to pick, just based on what the Oscars would do, I'm going to say either 1917 or Ford versus Ferrari. Um, and if it's me personally, I pick Ford versus Ferrari, as you saw from my top uh, my top ten. But uh, from everything I've heard about 1917 and everything I've seen from it, even some of the screener stuff I've seen from it, it looks absolutely incredible. So that that's going to be my guess, and and I know a lot of people's complaints with the Irishman was that it was a bit too long. And once upon a, and once upon a time in Hollywood is a very niche thing for Tarantino fans in a lot of ways, and I think that'll be a detraction from it. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess I would pick 1917, though I haven't seen it. So if it's just me, I would pick Ford versus Ferrari based on the things that I've seen out of this list. But there was a lot of good shit that came out. Like, I like Marriage Story a lot. I like Joker a lot. I like Irishman a lot. Um, yeah. So, good stuff all around. Yeah, I agree. And kind of uh, going back to directors now, let's go over Best Director. Uh, five choices. We had uh, Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Todd Phillips for The Joker. Bong Joon-ho for uh, Parasite. Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. And Sam Mendes for 1917. Uh, to me, there's two people. It's going to be either Sam Mendes or Todd Phillips, but my dark horse pick, if you will, Bong Joon Ho for Parasite, uh, just because I heard that he that was a very well directed movie. But Todd Phillips did something completely different. And even though Sam Mendes needs Roger Deakins to be able to make those shots happen. It's his fucking original head with 1917. So either of them, I want to give the advantage to Todd Phillips, though. But I don't, Scorsese and Tarantino, it's it's deserved to be on here. But at the same time, like you said, Luke, I don't think this is, you know, either one of their best films that they've made. So I would not give it to either of them. But who knows? I don't know. Uh, Luke, what do you think? No, I'm completely parallel with you. Um, a, a Bong Joon um, for Parasite, uh, I definitely think it's going to win foreign of the year, but I feel like it'll win screenplay, um, best screenplay, because like I said, it's just for its original story and all that and just how he executes it. It's just really good. Um, but I'm going to have to go, like I said, I'm, I'm all in on 1917. Um, like, it's just 
what it took to actually direct and execute the shots of it looking continuous from the side angle. And you're getting like, like you said, you get people's cameos, but they're in it for a second, but they do kind of have a good effect of the story, but just like everything about 1917 and how he, it must've been for him. He had this vision and he, he completely nailed it. I mean, I just don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Very well said. Chris, what do you think for best director? I mean, I think the movie that people had the most questions for on this list would be the Joker and what that thing was going to look like, or Joker, I should say. Um, So if it's me personally, it would be Todd Phillips, just because I think that movie was a lot better than people's expectations. Um, And I thought it was phenomenal. I think he probably deserves it out of some of the others. And once again, I haven't seen 1917, but I can't judge it. Tarantino, I think, like... It could have gotten there. Like I said, it was a bit long. There's also like a five-minute car scene of him just, like you said, shooting Margot Robbie's feet uh, where he's just being a <laughs> dick to be a dick. Like he knows that's a running joke about him, so he's just going to do it more. Like there's certain things like that, and once upon a time in Hollywood, it's Tarantino, so he doesn't really give a fuck about these awards. Um, so I'm assuming it's either going to be you know Joker or 1917, Todd Phillips or, or Sam Mendes. Uh, I could be wrong. I I thought Parasite was very good. It it didn't make my top ten, but it was a very good movie, and maybe they will go that direction. I and and I think uh, it's definitely probably going to be best foreign film. Um, but yeah, that's I right now. If I had to, if I had to choose, you had a gun to my head, I'd probably say Todd Phillips. Okay, man, I'm I I have on Raw in my peripheral on mute, and I just saw Ray Mysterio get powerbombed off the top ropes through a ladder. Man's like in his friggin' late 40s. Crazy, man. Anyways, um, all right, let's go to Best Actor. For Best Actor, we have Jonathan Price uh, for The Two Popes. Still haven't seen that. It's a Netflix movie. Netflix is killing it, by the way. <laughs> Speaking of which, Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Man, I mean, I guess Christian Bale was a supporting actor, but it feels like both of those guys were, you know, lead actor. Very surprised he's not on this list or on the supporting actors list. I got to admit that. Um, I haven't seen Pain and Glory. I haven't seen Two Popes. I haven't seen uh, Marriage Story either. So going by that. I don't know. I've heard a lot about Adam Driver, but I think Joaquin Phoenix, he's won the SAG Award. He's won pretty much all the other big awards uh, leading up to this. I think this is his year. Um, Luke, who do you got for best actor? Yeah, I got Joaquin Phoenix. Um, he's just his role is amazing. The character development that you see of this Joker character, like I said, he makes you fall in love with them. And then he does a really good job of like, like I said, you only get a taste of this Joker, but you get that taste where you just want so much more and then to actually make another one, even though you knew going into this it was just going to be a one-off kind of movie. At first, I said, I'll just say that now. Um, uh, but I, like you said, I have seen Marriage Story. I haven't seen the two movies you said, The First Hope or uh, Antonio Banderas' movie, but Adam Driver does do a good job. If I could see someone snubbing Phoenix, it is Adam Driver because, like I said, that one scene that I described where he just breaks down, it's very graphic and all that. And like, you really do feel bad for Adam Driver the whole time. Like, 
like I said, it's a dad want to fight for his son and letting his son know that he really does want him in his life. Because that's divorce, kind of like what kids see, because it's a young kid, and he doesn't really know what's going on. Is it? Do you feel like bad for Adam Driver compared to like Adam Driver in the new Star Wars, where he finally gets to kiss a girl and then dies right afterwards? Ah, oh, crap! I nah. can't get that away. <laughs> <laughs> I hope our audience has already seen the Star Wars movie. Sorry about that. That wasn't even thought. Anyways, uh, best actor, Chris. Who, who do you who do you have? What do you think? I think Joaquin Phoenix should win the award but much much like we like we just were talking about adam driver was phenomenal in marriage story and i can definitely see him walking away with it i didn't see uh the two popes either so <laughs> i'm only basing Apparently this off the four that i saw yeah there's a, i'm only basing this off the four films i saw antonio Banderas is amazing um, in Pain and Glory, so I, I, I'm like by no means am I saying that that he was bad at all. I and I will say this about Leonardo DiCaprio: I like that they're trying to continue that character by producing. I don't know if you guys heard this, but they're doing like five shorts or five episodes of the <laughs> show that he was supposedly in uh, in the movie. Awesome. So that that itself is would be really cool. And I thought he was fucking great as that character. Um, but Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix basically killed both those roles it just depends on i guess how they're feeling when they make this vote because they're two very different characters um this yeah this might be walking phoenix year like you said dane for sure all right let's move on to best actress another category in which i need to get caught up on a majority of all of them actually wow all right, we have Charlie Theron as in Bombshell. Uh, I've heard really good things about that movie and her performance in it. Renee Zellwinger in Judy, a movie about Judy Garland and uh, the ups and downs of her celebrity uh, persona. Uh, Cynthia Arrivio in Harriet. Uh, Scarlett Johansson in uh, Marriage Story. And Cerise Ronan in Little Women. I don't really have... I'm going to go with everyone telling me that Renee Zellwinger is going to win this because that's the only thing I got from it. Charlie Theron, I heard she does an amazing job. I forgot what uh, pundit she she plays, but, you know, um, pretty amazing performance from what I hear. So who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm surprised Scarlett Johansson's on both Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, but we'll get to that. I heard that she's incredible, though, in Marriage Story. Luke, wh- what do you have to say about this? Yeah, for this one, I've only seen two of them, and that's uh, Bombshell and uh, Marriage Story. Um, I don't think this is Scarlett's best performance. I definitely think Jojo Rabbit will get the Oscar for that one, that category. But um, from what I've heard, uh, Little Women, um, from a couple people, there could have been a couple different characters in Little Women to be up for the, the role. So I've not seen Harriet. Uh, I don't even, like, want to, uh, you know, try to say I've seen it, so I don't really know about that, but I have heard uh, the same about you with Renelle, uh with Judy, so I guess I'll go with that, because I don't think, I mean, Shirley Sturman's good in Bombshell, but I don't I don't really think it's, like, the best of the year, like, the best performance. I mean, it's just, it's a good movie, but uh, I don't think it's Oscar-worthy. I think Scarlett would definitely get it over Shirley's if, there was, if it was down in one of those things, but I'll go with you and Judy. All right, go with me with Judy. Sounds good. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see that. Judy Garland's a very, uh, you know, there's not a lot known about her. She played Dorothy, and then she kind of got really into celebrity and got uh, bad into drugs and was taken kind of tragically short. Her daughter's obviously Liza Minnelli. So I've heard that's definitely a film I, I'm I'm going to want to see. I love biopics for that. Uh, Chris, who do you have for Best Actress? So I'm going to go with Renee Zellweger. I saw this movie. I didn't necessarily care for the movie overall, um, but her playing Judy Garland was absolutely great. She nailed the accent. The, you know, the, hey, darling, I'm Judy Garland here. Uh, <laughs> that's bad Judy Garland impersonation. But uh, she she nailed that, and I thought that she played the character very well. It's just there was a lot of things about the uh, – other things about the movie that I didn't necessarily like, which is probably why you're not seeing it show up in other categories, but she was great in the film at playing Judy Garland, especially old Judy Garland um, towards the end of her life, which was very, very short, unfortunately. Uh, and if I had to go with like a second follow-up, Scarlett Johansson and Marriage Story, she was she was great in that. Uh, so those would be my two. Unfortunately, like I said, the only one I haven't seen is Harriet. Uh, and not everyone here did wonderful performances. Renee Zellweger just kind of became uh, Judy Garland, and like really, like I said, nailed the voice, kind of nailed the character, especially the more depressed version towards the end of her life. Even though, like, I, it, it, ugh, even though, like, I, I didn't necessarily care for the movie. Uh, much like Lighthouse, there's some there's some great acting to be seen there. Um, yeah. I've heard I've heard that about Lighthouse as well. Um, great acting, but you know, mixed in with a lot of other stuff. All right, so best supporting actor, we have Anthony Hopkins up for Two Popes, uh, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joe Pesci for Irishman, Al Pacino for Irishman, Tom Hanks for a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Wow, I'm actually winning on this one, the majority of them. Um, God, who had the best out of all these guys? I really want Brad Pitt to win it. I think that he was awesome in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I could see Pacino getting this. Although I would love Pesci winning this too. But I'm going to go with Brad Pitt. Luke, who do you have for Best Supporting Actor? Um, I was surprised Irishman got too. Especially like we're saying that we all felt like Christian Bale kind of should have been in here. Um, if I had to go with one, I mean, I haven't seen A Beautiful Day. I mean, I'm from what you guys see, it seems like Tom Hanks kind of steals the movie, so I don't know why that wouldn't win. If I have to go with the movie I've seen, I'm going to go with um, Joe Pesci, because I do think in The Irishman he has the better role and like, you know, the character development and, and all that. So I guess, yeah, Joe Pesci, but if I've seen – if I were to be able to see in a beautiful day and what you guys have both kind of like talked about it and Tom Hanks performance kind of feel like the way you guys talk about it, Tom might win this. I got to be honest with you. I love Tom Hanks in it, but for the amount that he is not in it and not like, hmm, how do I put this the right way? I would definitely myself put Pacino as Hoffa uh, Pesci or Brad Pitt over because I felt like they were they had more to do with the plot of the movie. It's kind of hard to say that because I know it's Mr. Rogers and he's obviously the. I don't know, Chris. Is, is there a better way for me to explain it? And who do you think is going to get Best Supporting Actor? No, I mean I think you summed it up. I mean he's he's in a lot of the film, but it's he's not necessarily carrying the plot. The plot is more about 
Mr. Rogers, not necessarily about him carrying the movie itself. I don't know if that's actually putting it well either. Um, I'm going to go with Brad Pitt. I thought he was phenomenal in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And if I had a follow-up, I would go A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, I, and once again, I haven't seen The Two Popes, but I'm sure Anthony Hopkins is awesome as well. It seems like it's gotten a lot of nods, so maybe I should check it out. But uh, yeah, if I had to lock one in, maybe probably Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought him playing this cocky stuntman trying to fight Bruce Lee and all the crazy shit that happened in that movie, he just nailed it and was very, very believable, whether it's fixing a roof or driving Leonardo DiCaprio around. Uh, he was perfect, perfectly built for that role. Absolutely. Uh, Luke, did we already go to you? I apologize. No, yeah, we did. I, I said uh, Pesci, but I, I kind of now right. thinking about it. I, I might go with Brad Pitt with you guys. I mean, it's been See, a minute. It's the only movie I've only seen one time, too, besides Irishman this year because it's so long. But I did, like, the way you kind of explained it, Chris, it made me remember Brad's character in it and all the things he has to do, and he's the handyman. And I kind of feel like he does steal the movie from Leo, so I'm going to change it now that I get a rebuttal, and I'm going to go with Brad. Yeah, and, See, brother, and the weird psych- thing about that. powers, I knew you were going to say that, the, Luke, so that's why. I pass it back to you. What were you going to say, Chris? So so the weird thing about that fucking movie is that, to me, Brad Pitt is the main character. So how he lands supporting, kind of. I don't get, because the character is definitely filmed more from Brad's focus than it is from Leo's focus. I would say, if anything, it's 50-50, and you could toss them in either category. Yeah. I can agree with that. I think it's because it's about Leo's life and he's supposed to be another character, but yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. I agree with you. Best supporting actress. We have Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, another movie I need to see Margot Robbie and bombshell Scarlett Johansson and Jojo rabbit Florence Pugh and little women and Laura Dern in marriage story. Um, Florence Pugh has been, she's, she's really hot right now. Uh, you know, with accumulation of a couple films, like I said, that she's done. But I'm going to give it to Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. But then again, that's the only film I've seen out of all of these. So it's kind of going by what other pugnants uh, say about these films. Uh, Luke, what do you have for Best Supporting Actress? No, yeah. Um, unfortunately, the only one I haven't seen is Little Women. Um, I did actually watch Richard Jewell, so I got to see Mama from uh, <clears throat> Waterboy play um, in her role. Adam did shout out to her for actually making an Oscar nomination and they kind of had a funny kind of like rebuttal talk, but yeah, I um, love that. I'm with you. I'm with you a hundred percent. I'm going with Scarlett Johansson, Jojo rabbit. Um, she almost even though it's about this little nine year old boy. She almost steals the whole movie, her character. And it's just, you know, this mom that's trying to show her son that it's n- don't be so naive of like what you hear as a little kid, because it's not always true. And, I just think she does a phenomenal performance in it. I don't want to get any more because I don't want to spoil anything. No, I feel you. And Chris, who do you have uh, out of these uh, for Best Supporting Actress? Out of the ones I've seen, I personally would pick Kathy Bates. Um, but I, based on everything I've heard and, and read, it seems like it's it's going to be Scarlett Johansson for her role in Jojo Rabbit. So I, I guess I will go with that as a bold prediction. 
All right, real quick, I'm going to list from Rolling Stone magazine that did the big, the top 12 snubs, and I think that's the ones that you know everyone's talking about. I haven't seen some of these films. A lot of people have. But we have uh, Greta Gerwig for Best Director for Little Women. Uh, we have Best Actress Lupita Nyong'o for Us. Uh, Best Supporting Actress Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. Uh, the Farewell, which was a big movie for anything. Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Uh, the Ensemble from Parasite. Uh, Robert De Niro from Best Actor for Irishman. Uh, Christian Bale for Best Supporting Actor. Dolomite is my name for anything. Best actor for Taron Edgerton for Rocket Man. He uh, he got a Golden Globe for that. Best documentary for Apollo 11. Best animated feature Frozen 2, and best original song Spirit from The Lion King. All right. So I think that was more than 12. Anyways, out of all those, I think the only one that I can connect with essentially is Adam Sandler for best actor. Although I don't know in that same scenario who you would push out to put Adam Sandler in sort of thing. But uh, did you have see any of those movies, Luke, or think that there was any snubs involved? No, I mean, I saw the majority of those. Um, I don't know about Us, that, or Hustler. I mean, they're good movies. I don't think Oscar nominating and definitely not well, like good movies that's I, impactful. I, I... I saw the argument. It wasn't so much the film us, but Lupita's performance as playing, you know, the normal mom, and then the the other, you know, because I actually didn't yeah. really like this that much. But I thought that yeah, I, I think, think they're just strictly talking about her performance. Yeah, as for J Lo, I, I don't know how the fuck Ocean's Eleven, Magic Mike. I, I just don't see anything really thrilling in that film. But whatever. Yeah. So the big snubs that I'm going to go with, we already have, and I'm with you and Adam Sandler. And then Christian Bale in supporting actor because I think both of them had great roles and did their performance, you know, to a T and they should get recognition for it. And it's kind of sad that they were snubbed. I mean, there's that many for best picture. I'm sure adding one more to each list, if you don't have to slide anyone out, it's not that bad. And so I'm going to go with that. I think they should start taking advantage. They now, because of the dark night in that year and it getting snubbed, they now go to 10 or they can go to 10 for best picture. Why not have that ability for any of them really? Because they're not going to ever show us how many votes everything gets and how close these things are. Instead of having these other films that seem like, well, they didn't get a chance to campaign because that's really fucking important towards an Oscar nomination, you know, cause they came out later, just use up to 10 categories. I don't know. Maybe it takes down a prestige. That's another conversation for another day. Chris, any stubs that you can think of? Yeah, uh, my number two on my list, Apollo 11. <laughs> I feel like that got yeah. super snubbed. I thought for sure that was up for best documentary. It should have been. It was phenomenal. Um, I saw American Factory in the Cave, which I think are nominated, and I thought that Apollo 11 was way better. But maybe people just don't care about the moon landing anymore. That's, that's also a possibility. Well, it didn't happen, remember? It was all yeah, in the studio, and Kubrick shot it. <laughs> All the studio encouraged on it. I like it. The other big one, and uh, probably the most glaring to me, is Christian Bale. He's just phenomenal. I, don't, I think I saw four of the five that were nominated, uh, and I would have probably given him the win if it was just up to me because, of, like like we saw from my list, that was my number one movie of, of last year. So uh, that's the biggest snub. I, I didn't see Uncut Gems, but it sounds like Sandler was pretty great in it. And I'm just really curious about the Kevin Garnett situation because I like Kevin Garnett since he played for the Timberwolves. So I'm going to have to go check that out. 
He was good, man. He was really good for, you know, an untrained athlete playing, you know, probably with some acting skills, but he did a good job. I mean, he was playing himself, so it has to be pretty easy. Anyways, that was our Oscar edition of Monday Suck. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We gave our top tens for films for 2019. Finally, we went over the Oscar nominations for some of the major categories. We're probably going to do a follow-up closer to the actual Oscars themselves and a post-Oscar show. So thank you for listening. Uh, If you're a new listener, go to geekvibesnation.com. Go there, and you'll find not only news articles for various things that we do in the geek uh, hemispheres, if you will, but also you can find links uh, to our SoundCloud, our iTunes, our our, uh, Spotify, any of those sound listening things. If you don't want to listen on Blog Talk Live, we do this show biweekly Mondays at 6 or 7 p.m. EST, uh, then you have – just different options to be able to download, listen, and for any of our past listeners, thank you guys so much. Uh, you know, join the conversation, join Geek Buys Nation uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram. I am at Danals42 on Twitter for some freaking reason. New Year, whatever. And uh, yeah, just continue listening to us. Uh, Wrestling Geeks Alliance is a show that me and Chris do. It's on uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. EST, and Saturdays, noon EST. And we'll go over some wrestling stuff. And let me thank my wonderful panelists, uh, Luke, my brother, Luke Alves. Uh, any plugs? And uh, what what are you doing? Having fun? I know. I just just want to you know thanks for having me. I look forward to our follow up shows, and um, hopefully the Oscars don't let us down and do a bunch of snubs where it's just like who the fuck and how how Oscars did you vote for this and all that. So I'm just really hoping that the Oscars don't steal the show from their own selves on just awarding terrible people. That's a very good point. Any um any updates for full court press? Uh yeah, definitely um coming back um some big changes happen. I'll definitely let that know in the next episode I did, uh, but I do plan on having it on Sundays, um maybe this week, but definitely in the following week, but uh definitely big news on uh, the episode that I'll be doing that I'll let everyone know that's ever listened to it, but uh until then, I'm definitely coming back, and uh, uh, thank you to all the fans that, you know, listen to every show. Yep, uh, big things coming. Uh, and, Chris, uh, any plugs, uh, anything else that you want to say goodbye to the listeners? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I will def- I'd like definitely check out Full Court Press if you don't. Uh, as a semi-basketball fan, I enjoy listening to you guys. I think you guys do great work over there. Uh, if you're into hockey, check out at Skates to Throats, we had an episode post today. Um, it's, it's a few days late, but it's there for you guys to listen to. We have another one coming up later this week. Obviously, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, you can always hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. And thanks, Dane, for having me on this. It was a, a hell of a lot of fun to talk about uh, movies. It's been a while. Yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for participating. We'll be doing something uh, very soon, uh, you know, to this uh, once the Oscars are done. We can uh, get back and talk about it. So you guys have a wonderful evening out there at Geek Vibes Nation. Thank you so much. Peace out. Let the Geeks Vibes be with you. And join us next week for another episode of Dragon Ball Z. Ah, rest in peace. He just passed away. Ah, that's sad. It is really sad. Well, tribute. That's why I did this. All right. Bye, guys.